You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Morning, church. I'm glad you're here this morning on this spring break Sunday. For some of you, it's spring break. For others, it's just another Sunday. But regardless, I'm glad you are here this morning. Truly, truly glad. Anytime we gather as a church, it's a special moment, a unique moment this morning. Actually, this combination of people will never gather again. So this is a unique moment in human history, and I hope you come with expectation and anticipation in your heart. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 26. That's where we're going to be this morning. I want to share a message with you entitled, What If Prayer Is Boring? That's right. Can the pastor say that? What? What if prayer is boring? Maybe you've been there before. I know I've been there before where it seems like prayer is this place of countless distractions or like I feel energetic and then I come to the place of prayer and all of a sudden I'm like, I can't keep my eyes open. I'm so tired. What if prayer is boring? I would, I would propose this morning that the enemy does not want you to hear this message. The enemy loves a sleepy church. The enemy loves sleepy believers. The enemy loves when you think that Christianity is boring. So the enemy doesn't want you to hear this message this morning. I want to define prayer this morning as action in the kingdom of Jesus. Prayer is action in the kingdom of Jesus. It is in actuality, in truth, in reality. The, the ultimate reality of prayer is that it is the absolute antithesis of boredom and sleepiness. But I get it. I'm not speaking down at you in condemnation. I get it. There is a real war at, at play right now. There's a real battle in this place of prayer that exists. And the enemy wants to lull us into this sleepy boredom when it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to engaging in this life on a plane that, that is equal to the, the level for which God created us for. He wants to lull us into this sleepiness. Just think about how Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. When, when they asked him, when the disciples came to Jesus, and they're like, hey, teach us how to pray, Jesus. We see that you pray with this intensity and power and authority. Teach us how to pray. He said, pray to the Father and pray, Father, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He invited them into this, this sort of prayer that partners with God for God's will to be, to be carried out on the earth. There is this mystery in the sovereignty of God that I want you to, um, to, I want you to consider this morning. Obviously, God is all-powerful. He is sovereign. There's all authority in his hands. But there is this sense in the mystery of God that he limits himself because he prefers to partner with you in prayer and so I don't think Jesus would propose this prayer to his disciples to, to, to trick them, to tease them about the significance of prayer. When he invites us to pray, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I believe he's sincere. I believe he sincerely wants us to participate in his grand redemptive plan. 
The problem is rarely we believe it. Rarely we grapple with it. Rarely we we come to prayer with this sense of anticipation that we are about to work with God. We are about to to partner with God. We're about to co-labor with God. I pray you leave this place this morning with a new sense of urgency in your heart to pray. That even today, this afternoon, you'd get alone with God and you'd cry out to him and say, God, what are you doing today? I want to partner with you. I want to work with you. So prayer is action in the kingdom of Jesus. So let's look at this passage in Matthew chapter 26. This is after Jesus had three and a half years of public ministry, traveled around with his disciples for these three, most of the three and a half years. And the culmination of, of, of the entire reason he came to earth is coming to a head in this moment. This is the night he's about to be betrayed by Judas. He's about to be handed over to these Roman officials. And Jesus calls his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you, this, this is just an amazing story. I want you to catch this just as we read it. Take note of the huge divide between where Jesus is and where the disciples are at. Jesus enters this place of prayer with such pointed intensity, passion, urgency. It's like all, of, all these eternal, like cataclysmic uh, things are coming to a head in this moment for Jesus. Like the weight of the world is on his shoulders in the place of prayer. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we see the disciples. and They're kind of like wandering in, kind of scratching their heads. Where are we, Jesus? And they're so sleepy, and they're so tired. They don't get it. So there's this huge divide. I want us as a church to swing the pendulum way over here, and for us to rise up as a church and to function with Jesus in this place of prayer, which is a place of passion, urgency, and intensity. It doesn't mean it needs to be the level of your voice, the volume, or even the outward expression emotionally, although I believe emotions are important. There should be a sense of intensity in our prayers that, that more mimics where Jesus is at in the story, and I want, you to, I want you to catch it. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. It says, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. The weight of all that was about to take place, he knew how, how it was going to have to end. He's going to have to sacrifice his life, and that's, it's starting to weigh on him in a significant way. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Meaning, very, very literally, stay awake with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. Stay awake and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus calls it like it is. He lifts the veil on this this great battle that I'm talking about. The battle between our spirit and our flesh. What we are created for and what we find ourselves confined to in this world, which is our flesh, is our sin nature. 
The spirit is willing. There's part of you that rises up in the place of prayer that says, I was born for this. I was born to connect with my creator. Our true identity comes out in the place of true prayer. But then at the same time, we find ourselves so confined to our sinful nature. And that's when the, the sleepiness comes on. That's when we think of a thousand other things to be doing, right? We've all been there in prayer. We're like, we got some business to do in prayer. And then you got, you got to remember, oh yeah, I have some, some mismatched socks over here I need to put together. And I, gotta, I, I need to dust that. Uh, oh, the clock's a little off. I need to set that clock. And all these things come rushing. That's our flesh. The spirit indeed is willing. The flesh is weak. And Jesus calls it like it is. I, I, I empower you this morning to call it like it is. Instead of beating yourself up about your flesh, instead of, instead of condemning yourself about your flesh, call it like it is. The flesh is weak. Okay, God, right now I crucify the flesh and I want your spirit to arise in me. That's what you created, created me for. None of that was in my notes. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just feeling compelled to encourage you in that. Empower, I empower you to speak that out when you feel distracted, bored, sleepy, the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing. Verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. You see this beautiful picture of Jesus uh, modeling for us this uh, wanting to partner with the father in prayer. The father's will on earth as it is in heaven. It's a beautiful picture for us. And again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy, were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said, he said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And it's on at that point. My prayer this morning is that you would more accurately understand and see prayer for what it is, that prayer is action. You can think of prayer as working with God, as co-laboring with God, as participating with God in his redemptive plan. Prayer, as I've talked about so many times over the last uh, three months as we've been talking about prayer, prayer is no obligation, there's no duty in prayer. Prayer is an opportunity to partner with God and what he wants to do in your home, in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, in this world, prayer is action. Prayer is also not passivity. I feel like there's some, sometimes we feel that, that sense that maybe we're taking the easy out when we default to prayer. Have you ever, have you ever asked somebody you respected for advice? Maybe a pastor, a mentor, a parent, a friend that you, that you know loves the Lord, and, and you go to them and you, you talk to them about this decision that you, you're in the trenches wrestling with. You say, this, this is what I'm facing. What do you think? And maybe in that moment they've said, have you prayed about it? They, they ask you that. Or they know you haven't, and they said, I think you should pray about it. I don't know the person's heart. There is a sense that, that someone could say that and they are, they are just speaking out of a sense of passivity. I don't know their heart. But I would challenge you to hear that differently in the future. What if that is actually the, the, truest, uh, the, the, um, yeah, the truest advice in that moment? If prayer is action, then we should seek the heart of God for, for, to partner with him over that decision, whatever it is that we're facing. That should be our default as followers of Jesus. And in that sense, then prayer is not escapism. It's not passivity. 
Prayer is the place where we actually go and get grounded in God's will on earth as it is in heaven. So have you prayed about it? It should cut to our heart. You know, I was actually coming to you. I just wanted an easy decision. Sometimes we do that. We seek out others just because we want to we hear their voice. And we don't, we don't want to go to the place of prayer. We don't want to wrestle with God and participate with him and, and submit our will to the Father like Jesus did here. That, that can actually be painful to crucify our flesh in the place of prayer. And I, obviously, I encourage you to seek out godly counsel and to, to seek out friends and to do life in community. I hope you understand my heart. But it's those friends in the, in the context of community, when they encourage you to pray, I hope their intentions in that advice is to truly pray, not pray out of like wishful, wishful like have you prayed about it? Because that's, that's the spiritual answer, right? No, have you truly prayed about it? Have you asked God's thoughts about that decision? Have you truly sought his heart and said, and said God, I give you this situation, this decision. I want, to, I want to cooperate with what you're doing now. That's true prayer. And something lesser than it is passivity, than it is escapism. But true prayer is action. Co- cooperating, co- collaborating with God, co-laboring with God. You know, the, Jesus modeled a prayer that was so intense, so urgent. The, the Luke account of this story depicts a Jesus on his knees, crying out to the Father with such intensity that not, not only did he sweat, but he sweat drops of blood. There was this excruciating urgency in the place of prayer. Like boredom, um, distractedness was the furthest thing from Jesus' mind. And obviously he's God. But that gives us a picture of the reality of prayer. And the enemy wants to just continually fool us for us to think that prayer is something altogether other than where we, where we see Jesus in this story. That is his place of survival. As he's modeling out what, the, what, what it looks like to be a son of God, for us to be a child of God, he's modeling a place of prayer that has inten- intensity and urgency and passion. Everything's hanging in the balance. And Jesus was one who worked with the Father in that place of prayer. You oftentimes see that. Jesus would say, you know, I'm I'm not doing anything that I don't see the Father doing. That's how he walked out his ministry on, on on this earth. He was watching what the Father was doing. He was in complete unity. That's a beautiful picture for us to consider as we live live out our lives on this earth that prayer is working with God. In this results oriented world, where everyone's kind of measuring you by your outward actions, your outward, outward results of your life. You can be confident that if you work with God, you'll accomplish even more. Prayer is working with God. I was reminded of this just last week. Over the last year or so, I've been slowly updating our kitchen. Our, our house was built in the early 80s, and so the kitchen really hadn't been touched much over the last 30 years. So over the last year, we've been just slowly updating the kitchen. And a week ago, uh, finally, it finally came, came time for us to switch out our refrigerator. That's a pretty simple task for those that are handy. For me, it wasn't. It meant six trips to the hardware store and pretty much half a day of work to do such a simple task. But here's the point of the story is my son was working alongside me the entire time. 
You see, I didn't need to work with my son, but I sure wanted to. God doesn't need to work with us, but he, he delights in it. He prefers working with his children. And I, I love working alongside my son. He's so patient. He's so forgiving of me for all my mistakes. And he's so curious. He is helpful. He's getting stronger and he's, he's smart. I can tell he's going to be, probably be handier than I. But there was a moment where we were, it had gone on for a number of hours now, and I was trying to figure this thing out with this, with this adapter up at the table, and my toolbox was out on the floor. My son was sitting there on the floor next to our brand new refrigerator, a new to us refrigerator with the toolbox open next to him. And he grabbed a wire cutter, grabbed the wire cutter, and he put it up behind the refrigerator like to these brand new electrical cords. Fortunately, I caught him out the corner of my eye, and I said, no, Bryce, stop. I startled him. And I stopped him from snipping something. He said he wasn't going to snip anything, but sure scared me. But can I tell you, I believe that's similar to the way God works with us in the place of prayer. We mess things up more often than not. He doesn't have to work with us. He could just carry out his divine will without us. And sometimes he just has to, because he is the guarantor of of the end of this whole story. But God delights in working with us. And sometimes in the place of prayer, It's to tell us the next thing to do. Sometimes it's to stop us from really messing something up. It's in that place of co-laboring and working with God that those types of dynamics come to life. And there's a real action to it. That with your father, you're actually accomplishing something on this earth. With your father, you're partnering with him to bring about his plan, higher purposes. This is what E.M. Bounds said over 100 years ago. He said, God commits the keys of his kingdom to individuals who think that praying is their main business and devote time to it according to this high estimate of its importance. God gives us the keys of his kingdom. The enemy wants to fool you into thinking that there's no keys for you in the kingdom of God. There's, There's nothing for you to accomplish in the place of prayer. When in actuality, in the kingdom of Jesus, in this upside down kingdom, Prayer is the place of action. I think it's so interesting in in this story, in the Mark account, what happens right after this is Peter gets the unction as as Judas comes and and, uh, kisses Jesus on the cheek and, and the betrayal is on. Peter rises up with this unction in his heart. He grabs a sword and he chops off one of the soldier's ears. I believe what the way Peter responds is very similar to the way we respond in this world. We take things into our own hands and we think there's, there's certain uh, human powers that are greater than God's plans. And I would say most often, the way this gets fleshed out, most generations, is through politics and through governmental powers. Every generation comes, out to the, comes, comes into these freak-out moments. We begin to freak out about what's happening in our society. And instead of the church rising up as the church and awakening with this urgency and passion and intensity, we default to politics. What if a generation would be more focused on power prayer rather than power politics? What if? What if we were moved to this place of, co- of co-working, co-laboring, partnering with God in the place of prayer with intensity and urgency and from there being compelled with action and outward results. I'll talk about that in a minute. 
Rather than being distracted like Peter was, we just freak out and we grab the quickest sword and, or the closest sword and we chop off somebody's ear. And too often the church has meddled into these places of politics, tainting our witness, tainting the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus did after, he, after Peter chopped off the guy's ear? Jesus picked up the bloody ear. And he said, I'll fix that. <laughs> Be healed. Such mercy, such love. It's, that's, not, those are, those, that's not meant to be stir up any sort of um, hot topic issues. But in the midst of the, the great divides that exist in our world today, I would challenge us as a church that instead of responding with the default gut flesh response, which is what can politics do to fix these issues? What if the church rose up and actually awakened to our purpose of first intensely and passionately seeking God and co-laboring with him in prayer? I think we'd have a different result. That would be the great awakenings that, that, that have taken place in history. So here's just a few ideas from this story that I want us to walk away with. First is this, that God prefers partnering with his people. Sean was all over it. Thanks, Sean. This is Sean's first, first day back there on the, on the computer, so I'm, I'm going to call him out there. God prefers partnering with his people. Jesus didn't have to, to bring his disciples along in, in this, this very lonely place of carrying the weight of the world upon him, but he did. He did because he likes them, and God likes you, and he wants to work alongside you in this redemptive plan. If need be, he'll do it without us, but his preference is to bring us along into it. And you see in this story that once again, Peter, James, and John, they get pulled even tighter into Jesus' inner circle. So the tradition goes that the, the other disciples probably waited outside the, the, the gate of the Garden of Gethsemane, but into this place uh, that literally means oil press. He's, he's taking Peter, James, and John into this kind of uh, more intimate place of prayer with them because that's his preference. Is co-laboring with you in the place of action, Together. Second is this, that God values relationship and results. It's not either or. It's not either relational kumbaya all day long, sitting at the feet of Jesus, or outward results. And I think sometimes we feel like we have to make that decision. Either you're going to be an intense intercessor that does nothing outwardly, or you're going to be a results-oriented person over here that's just busy, busy, busy and never slows yourself to pray. It's either or. Actually, in the kingdom of Jesus, kingdom prayer is action because it's in the place of prayer that we're infused with the wisdom and the, the spirit power and anointing to then be compelled to great action outwardly. It's relationship and results. It's in the place of relational abiding and knowing who we are and just basking in the love of God that we're compelled to amazing outward actions, outward results. I want you to adopt three words here that Jesus uses here in this passage. He says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. He says, stay wide awake and pray. It's supposed to be this with spiritual eyes wide open and physically eyes wide open. Enter the place of prayer. Putting off this sense of 
sleepiness and uh, passivity and boredom and distractingness, but instead with, wide, with eyes wide open, enter into the throne room of the Father and come ready to work with him. Jesus uses the example of a vine and the branches, and he says, abide in me, abide in me as the vine, be like a branch and just connect with the vine. And it's in that place that what happens? We bear much fruit. So we don't just abide and we become a big dead branch. No, we abide and it's in that place that there is outward fruit and the fruit is evident. You don't have to prove to people that there's fruit in your life. When you abide in the Father relationally and you understand the love of the Father and his, uh, his um, eternal love for you, it's in that place that fruit begins to be bore from your life. It's both relationship and results. It's not passivity. He has a will to carry out and he wants to do it through people that are devoted, fully devoted to him. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says this, that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, searching for hearts. He's searching to strengthen those hearts that are fully devoted to him. That's, that's the heart of the Father. He doesn't have to do that. But he wants hearts that are fully devoted relationally to him so that he can carry out his purposes. It's to strengthen them to carry out his will and his plans. And third is this, that God expects his people to rise to the occasion. I believe God sincerely expects us to rise to the occasion. There's significance to this pattern. That Jesus returns to his disciples. He doesn't just give them that command, they come into this place and pray, watch with me. But he... They fall into sleepiness. He goes away to pray. They, he comes back, and once again, they're sleeping. He, he gives them the invitation again. He goes away, and he prays. They, he comes back, and they're, they're sleeping again, so he, he wakes them up again. Three times he does this. He's giving them an opportunity every single time to rise to the occasion. And obviously, we, we, can't, we can't speak down at the disciples. You know, uh, They don't have the, the fuller revelation that we have today. But we, I believe, we're, we're going to be judged at a higher standard because of the revelation that's been given to us. We, we see the story. We read the story before our eyes. And they fell into sleepiness and, and distractedness and boredom. But I believe Jesus is giving us this opportunity as well. He's saying, wake up, watch, and pray with me. Co-labor with me. Partner with me in the place of prayer. He even tells us about this, this battle that, is at, uh, that, that exists right now, that the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. So I want to ask you, are your spiritual eyes wide open? Are your spiritual eyes wide open? Where are you at this morning? Maybe for some of you, you're in a really deep sleep, like close to coma, a coma. I mean, you're like, you're out, comatose. I, we have one daughter, she's our third born, her name is Addison, and she is the heaviest sleeper that we have uh, come to know, uh, we have known in our lives. She's such a heavy sleeper. I mean, fire alarms could be going off, you know, kids yelling all around her, she's just out. And there was a time about two years ago when we didn't want her sleeping during the day because we wanted her to go, be, go to bed at night. And we actually picked her up because she just would not wake up. We put her on the trampoline outside with the kids, and she's there bouncing 
and she's still sleeping. And, and there are some with a sense of spiritual apathy and boredom that they're in that place of close to comatose. Such a deep sleep. And I just want to ask you this morning, I've been praying all week, God, wake us up as a, as a church and we're going to go there together. We're going to go after this together. I don't speak down at you if that's you. But this is an opportunity. Jesus is giving you an opportunity to rise up, rise to the occasion, to wake up and partner with him in the place of prayer. There are others that they're, like, they're more like sleepwalking. It may not be a deep, deep sleep, but it's like a sleepwalking. It's like you can fool people that you're awake, but really you're sleeping. People can't quite tell if, if you're wide awake or if you're spiritually sleeping. But, but this morning, God is giving you an opportunity. He's giving you an opportunity to rise to the occasion, to wake up, to watch and pray with spiritual eyes open, to see the magnitude of what's at stake. Everything is hanging in the balance. Think of Jesus in this moment with the weight of the world on his shoulders in the, in the, the place of intense prayer that he found himself. These are the, these are the situations that we, not the magnitude of sacrificing our life for all of humanity, but, but you and I, we find ourselves on a daily basis at the crossroads of major issues that God wants to partner with us in. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14 says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's so patient, he's so merciful, he's so kind, he's such a good father, and he wants each and every one of us to wake up with our spiritual eyes wide open, to see the magnitude of what's at stake in the place of prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and I just want to end with this story before we respond this morning. I want us to respond to Jesus this morning in a very corporate way. And when Jesus reveals to us that prayer is action in the kingdom of God, I want us to respond with a, a fervor and an urgency that says, God, we are, we're here to work. We want to partner with you. We want to co-labor with you. We want to cooperate with what you're doing on this earth. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I remember it was when I was 20 years old, this would be my second year of undergraduate, I sat at a, as a college student at our Chi Alpha Fall Retreat. And Chi Alpha is a campus ministry, a campus ministry here at, at LifePoint. I was an undergraduate at North Dakota State studying engineering. I had no ambitions of ministry, I loved engineering. I was interested in what I was studying. It was th there at this college retreat that the speaker at the end of the, the, the weekend, we had really experienced the Lord all weekend long. God had really moved in our hearts. And at the end of the weekend, he said, I challenge you to give one hour a day for 30 days straight. And he said, I promise you that if you do that, pray for 30 days straight, one hour every single day, your life will never be the, never be the same. For some reason, when I heard that challenge, it just, it hit me. Something just resonated with me. That I was made for something more. I was made for, for something more than lukewarm Christianity, than this mediocrity. Kind of this just sitting on the sidelines, making excuses for why God couldn't use me. And trust me, that's, that's where I was at. I was so insecure, so introverted, that I always made these excuses for why God couldn't use me. 
So a group of us students, I mean, at this time, our cutoff was maybe 40 or 50 students total in our entire gathering. And, and so there was a group of maybe half, of a, half a dozen of us guys. My older brother was part of this group. Half a, do, a dozen of us, we started gathering at our church before 8 a.m. calculus, before our classes started, and we just started to seek God. We actually made one of our primary focuses praying in the spirit, which if you don't know what that is, I, I encourage you to, to seek out you know, the book of Acts. You can read about it for yourself. It's this gift that we believe is available to every single believer to actually have an intimate prayer language between you and God to pray these mysteries of intercession with God. I believe it's available to everybody. We made that a primary focus, but it was in this, these hour prayer, prayer sessions that God began to do something in my heart and, the, and they ended up lasting longer than 30 days. And God began to wake up this group of humble college students. And God began to move on our campus. Literally hundreds of students coming to know Jesus. That guy Alpha now is seven, eight hundred students. And so that group of 40 or 50, the, honestly, the pastoral leadership didn't change. He had, our pastor had been there for 15 years. He was just doing what he knew what to do, disciple students, love on them. And finally, God got a hold of a group of students in a way that really reverberated across our campus. Hundreds of students coming to know Jesus. My eyes changed for when I walked into our lecture halls. My eyes changed for how God wanted to use me. The walls of our little campus ministry, they came crumbling down. And I want us as a church to grab a hold of what's at stake in the place of prayer, that prayer is our place of action. No more are the days where we walk into a prayer gathering and you're like, is, everyone, is anyone awake in this place? Is everyone sleeping? Gone are those days. God is awakening our church to rise to the occasion for what's at stake in our city, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our families. It's all in the balance. So maybe for you, that means a 30-day challenge. Maybe that means you kind of setting the reset button, that God is waking you up and you're like, okay, I am gonna give an hour a day for 30 days straight. And maybe for you, it's something different. But I believe God wants to take us all there together. If everyone would stand in this place, we're gonna to respond to Jesus in two ways. We're gonna to respond together, everyone in this place as a community of believers, for God to awaken our hearts, to wake us up. Jesus' time on this planet was 33 years, so scholars say. Obviously, we're given more years than Jesus was given, but yet the brevity of our lives is it's ever before us. Our life is but a vapor. Let's make it count. And God is inviting us into a place of prayerful action. So I want us to respond. Then I'm going to give an opportunity for anybody in this place to surrender their life to Jesus. If you're here in this place and you don't have a relationship with God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. To say, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I want real relationship with you today. And so I commit my life to you as my Savior, as my Lord. I'll give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Let's respond right now with every with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. You could raise your hands or place your hands out in front of you. Some response to Jesus. Lord, this morning, we respond to the, to the real kingdom reality that prayer is action. Prayer is not idleness. Prayer is not passivity. It's not escapism. 
We're not escaping from our obligation in this world when we pray. God, we rebuke those ideas, those lies of the enemy. Instead, we enter into our rightful place, the place you're inviting us into. We're rising to the occasion as the church of Jesus. And we're saying we want to, we want to mimic the urgency of Jesus, to be so in tune with the heart of the Father, to say we only do what we see the Father doing. We want to be compelled by you in the place of prayer. God, grip our hearts. God, I pray for all the, I pray against all the things that vie for us day after day. We turn from those things. We turn our hearts fully to you and we know in, those, in that place that your eyes are, are looking for us, to strengthen us, that we might be co-laborers and participants with you in this grand plan of redemption. We're stepping off the sidelines. We're waking up, Jesus. In your name. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.